0: you know, for me, it means people can not only see themselves, but know that they can contribute fully. It means understanding and not only recognizing, but knowing that whatever talents and skills and abilities they have, that it would be accepted, it would be encouraged, and it would be able to flourish in their environment.
1: Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. The podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor.
2: Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, my guest is Wayma Hoover, who is the CEO, President and CEO of Be Limitless Consulting, LLC. She has held head of global diversity and inclusion positions at Pfizer, Athena, Myers-Bristol Squibb, Sanofi, Google. Global Head of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Wayma. I'm just so excited to chat with you to learn more about what you do and just to, to riff on a subject that's so important and so critical now more than ever. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to be here with you, Anthony, and really to continue the great work that you're doing.
2: The great work that you're doing. That's what we're here for. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you, about your background? I know you're calling from New Jersey. Tell us a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I am now the the president and and CEO of Be Limitless Consulting LLC, and I came into that role really going deep and being a thought leader and an executioner of all things diversity, equity, inclusion, and also culture and ESG. Right now, serving as a chief diversity officer in previous roles, what has had allowed me to do was really see, you know, a very focused overview of how you can drive progress and really looking at and honing those skills that drive sustainable progress in organizations, that it's not a reactionary kind of strategy that is being used when you are really driving DEI for progress and really to change organizations and outreach to your customers and clients, but really have set in stone, you know, a framework that could be referenced. And, you know, part of that, I think, has come from being a case study for this own my own work, <laughs> you know, living abroad um several times in my career and having to not only develop, implement, drive these kind of organizational practices in companies, but also testing them, <laughs> experiencing them, and really seeing the impact on them in the engagement of employees through my own experiences.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, you've been doing it. It's, it's a lifelong body of work. Uh, like, as I said, mentioned, you know, personal, professional. So use the word progress a couple of times. So in these large organizations where you come in to be the global head of inclusion, diversity, culture, you know, and, and, and everything else that you had mentioned, what does progress look like to you? How do you walk into an organization and you say, okay, We're here to make progress, not perfection. You know, what does that look like? How do you approach that? How do you think about it?
0: You know, Anthony, that's a great question. And I think it really much determines on what stage the organization is in, right? So if you think about an organization that has, had more time to really embed DEI and has had the adoption of it through their business practices, through their employee engagement, through the HR, Progress is going to have a very different definition and look than someone, an organization that is really starting off and trying to define it. So for me, coming in, depending on where an organization is, particularly now owning a consulting company, I really look at what is the organization trying to accomplish? So, what is the outcomes that they they want to accomplish with integrating a diversity, equity, inclusion you know approach? And oftentimes, it may be customer segmentation to really reach you know, the customers and the clients that mirror their products or their services. Sometimes it could be around hiring, driving more representation, because they recognize that they need to have a diversity of talent at all levels. And other times, it really can be breaking through into different markets, global markets, and really having an organization that people want to see themselves in. And so, you know, progress to that point, all that being said, it really is dependent on what stage the or the organization is and what outcomes they truly are trying to drive with their focus on DEI. Yeah.
2: No, I, I, it's really interesting to see that the the last piece around having an organization that people can see themselves in, I hear it a lot in strategy offsites. I was in one yesterday, we say, hey, we need a diversity of membership. And even internally, we talk about it say, hey, what does it mean to us as a company value? And I hear people talk about it. And now, because it's now in my lens, I say, well, what are you trying to get out of this? Is it because you think you should? Is it because you want to? And of course, like the business case of it. So maybe, I, I guess my next question is, when you think of diversity, equity, inclusion, or equity, diversity, inclusion, or you know, justice, if you want to add that in there, acronym aside, mm-hmm. what does it mean to you?
0: Well, I think it, you know, for me, it means people can not only see themselves, but know that they can contribute fully. Hmm. It means understanding and not only recognizing, but knowing that whatever talents and skills and abilities they have, that it would be accepted, it would be encouraged, and it would be able to flourish in their environments. And that barriers, obstacles that exist, right, through conscious or unconscious practices, actions, biases will be addressed. That's where it is. And feeling the ability to show up as their true authentic selves, knowing that that when they go into a team, a department, a working group, knowing that not only are they seen, feel seen centered, but they know that they belong and that they are their their skills are welcome. So At that fundamental level, that's what is the most critical and most important for me as as not only a practitioner, but as again, when I think about what I experienced living in other countries, working in other countries, that is was the most important thing for me.
2: I wish that that was what people thought of it as in. I, th- I I know that in the kind of journey of trying to understand this, both as a consultant practitioner and as a CEO who has a team, when we talk about DEI, it always feels so heavy. It always feels like, and I'm a white guy, you know, like I'm, I'm not saying that I like take blame for, you know, hundreds of years of European history that I had nothing to do with. And I still kind of benefit from, but if I just woke up and it was like, well, you know what I want to do today? I want to make sure that every single person on my team knows that they can contribute, that they don't see any way of their being or conscious or unconscious is going to get in the way of them being at their best. Like that would really unlock everything. But people think about it in such a charged way that it kind of gets in the way of the true Spirit of it? Do you find that as you work with organizations? And I saw you worked in Europe, and Europe has a way different context, but not better than the, the North America. But anyway, what are your thoughts?
0: Absolutely. You're you're so spot on. And I do think it's because when you are looking at the social issues that our world is going through, right? In every country, there is a you know tendency to align the social and, you know, the social issues with DEI, which you should, right? Which you should, because you're looking at, you know, the composition of your employees. You're looking at the composition of the people who work there. However, I think it's it's too easy and it is very surface to think that that's all that it is right? To actually have that and saying, okay, this is happening in the social issues, which you do have to address and make sure that you reinforce your values, your culture, and all of those things to make sure people have the ability to, to feel that they can contribute and that these areas and these issues won't show up in how they're able to operate and be productive at work. However, if you keep the focus on that fundamental, which is creating conditions for all, everyone to thrive and succeed, right? Creating the conditions that will allow all tides to rise, you know, that will allow you, even in those times when you have the social issues that are happening, it'll still give you a foundation to, to manage that, to have organizational response with that, but it even makes it more important and gives you more an opportunity to reinforce why it is important in what you're doing to ensure you create that inclusive environment, that you set the conditions for everyone to think. It actually reinforces that it done right. I do think that, you know, in historical, if you look historically at how the was driven, you know, more of as an initiative, a celebration of cultures, you know, more, I, I'm using my words, of campaign-like, you know, activities then that that is where you have that awareness and the conscious and and really bringing people to do the, the awareness, but sometimes coming across as, as, as um, maybe, you know, oftentimes accusatory and not really partnership and collaborative. And, and that's where I feel like you really break down not only the ability to have people step up and step in and want to take action, to your point, if you're little, really thinking about waking up every day and say, I want everybody to thrive, I want everybody to succeed. And so everything that's getting in the way, I'm going to address it. I mean, that's what you would do with any business strategy that you have. If you're going into a market and you see what is actually happening in the market that is preventing me from tapping in and being successful, I'm going to address that. If you really have it down to the fundamental level, everything and all things that are addressing that you would make that a priority and make sure that it is really adopted by all the, the people and individuals in the organization that have responsibility for creating culture, creating those conditions.
2: Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, then we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, But most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, Moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth that we can partner with you to do that. Whether that's through an off-site strategic planning session or you know, follow-up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, that's, I I think one of the two things I took out, out of that. One is the accusatory nature of it. And on one hand, like rightfully so, like, There's so many, and it's my podcast, so I can swear. There's so many shitty people out there who do shitty things under like a veil of, I won't say under the veil of racism, because there's certainly racism and they're being shitty. So on the flip side, I understand accusatory nature in that conversation. Unfortunately, it does get in the way of progress, but, you know, that's a way more challenging conversation. But the other thing that I heard around it, going back to that base nature, is, it's removing biases and assumptions and beliefs around people in an organization. So because that are held by people, I believe that somebody who thinks slower than me is less good than me. That's a just a bias where I could be totally wrong. So you're myth busting, so to speak, around people. And that's all it really is.
0: Yes. And not to, you're not to that. reduce
2: it. You know.
0: No, no, absolutely. And to use that if you do have, you know, those that have the egregious behaviors, those that use it under the a reason, even with that fundamental approach, you can still address that because then it's not in line with your values and you can call it out and you can address it. Not to say that taking any less of a, a, a stringent reaction or, or stringent accountability, but you're bringing always bringing it back to the fundamental you know levers of this is preventing us from activating and tapping into the full potential of our talent.
2: Yeah. I, I just want to drop an F-bomb on some racist people, but I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> um, but I think as, a, as, as you go in and do consulting and as I do consulting, I, I tell people that like, you don't have to listen to anything I say. But I believe that there's a business case is saying, hey, if you're in business and you want to make more money and you want to be more successful and you want to have an engagement and you want to have retention, you want to have those people, then it's in your best interest to remove any barriers to doing that. So DEI is, you know, for you if you are entirely self-serving and not even considering the kind of good for society human side of things. And so I think that there's so much around it, but but I do think that it it, it be, I look forward. To the day where we can have conversations about these and not get so wrapped up into the emotion of it. But it's an emotional conversation that requires a skilled person to be able to tread. So I, I guess if we were, if you were to empower our listeners into being able to have those conversations, knowing that they might not have the skills, background, you know, it might be somebody who has no or limited shared experience of being discriminated against or perceived, what would you tell them or how would you guide them in having those conversations or to reflect on those biases, assumptions, and beliefs?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And look, Anthony, at the end of the day, even those asking the questions have to look in the mirror and test their own assumptions and test their own biases. We all have them. So that should be known understood and really checkbox. All of us have them, right? And so I think going into those conversations and understanding that this is something that everyone is going to first have that reaction to say, okay, is this in a, you know, an attack on me? Are you calling me out for that? But I think where you can actually have an opportunity to actually have partnership and have collaboration is when you acknowledge that This is the world that we live in. There's no right or wrong. It just is. But what we are trying to do is bring awareness to it and understand where it has negative impact and where it is not allowing us to really have the workforce and the talent that we want and need to grow. So I'm always about, yeah, those things happen. Those things are. I'm going to acknowledge it, but I'm not going to use it as a handicap or a crutch to excuse you or I from doing the work that needs to be done. Because I think that when that happens, that rhetoric then becomes the issue and challenge. (laughs) And then the work goes to the wayside and nothing gets done. And quite frankly, that is the pattern that we have seen in organizations where there has been stall progress, stall movement, and there an inability to move forward because you're really not dealing with the problem. You're really not solutions focused. You're literally still dealing with the conversation, (laughs) different versions Different opinions, different communities, and my, you know, approach is that conversation. You know, will happen. It will have different. But let's get down to the work. How do we in this organization? Which I would say that it's going to different by the organization, depending on the culture, depending on the the leadership. You know, accountability, all host of things, which you can actually use as a diagnostic to really drive. You know, those integral practices and solutions that will have an impact. However, making it that you are having the conversation to bring awareness, but all with the purpose of really attacking what are the solutions that will drive progress and how are we going to hold accountability and do the work?
2: Yeah. I, I get a good takeaway. Great conversation. You don't make it about the thing; you make it about the outcome. Is is looking at like where are our own beliefs limiting us and limiting our potential? Just like, hey, if our manufacturing process can only produce eight widgets, if our finance process is taking too long to get us data, how are our people practices limiting our ability to both do our best work and get the best outcome?
0: Exactly make it about the outcomes and make it about what matters the most and that's why I think very important it's really critical when you do this work and engage with organizations that they need to understand their why i can't give it to you <laughs> you know and you have all you know the leaders the the leadership team the managers they actually have you know all of the fodder that actually points to what are those things that are getting in the way. And a lot of these things are the unwritten norms, the things that are not spoken of, the culture, but also the, the the more important, the subculture that really drives the operation that maybe people talk about, they talk about you know, behind closed doors, but they're certainly not the things that are on the conference room walls. But that is where you have to get to the heart of and the root of to really bring visibility to it and then say, okay, it exists, we understand. Now let's really drive, what is the work that we need to do to change? Awesome.
2: So, as we finish up today, I'd love to hear, you know, if you don't mind sharing, like one example of a process that you went through to say, hey, you know, we went in, we had these conversations, we challenged our assumptions, we did X, Y, Z work, and 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 here were the results, either qualitatively or quali- quantitatively. If you can share a little bit, kind of on the court example of what that might look like, and then we'll we'll wrap up our chat today.
0: Yeah, certainly. So, I'll give an example one of my roles I was that this is one of the roles where I was chief as a CDO and I was working internally and we had a dilemma that we're like, okay, in this particular area, you know a particular function, we just could not hire diverse talent. We knew that we're there they were there, but we could not really tap into them. And so there was all the questions, you know, is the work not sexy enough? are we not going into the right schools? are we not actually having the lead we did know that we did not have representation in leadership And so then we flipped it on its head and said, you know, Instead of us thinking about how we go out and get the talent to come to us, we need to go to the talent. So we need to make it go to those areas, those communities, and actually show them how we value them. Really have demonstration, have our leaders talk at the university, at the MBA school, to actually say we know that you're talented we understand you know the the skills that you're bringing in that is being transformative we have knowledge of the great programming and oh by the way we're going to allow satellite offices to be set up here so if you want to come join us you can come join us and and live local, you know, stay locally. And so it's like turning it on its head. Instead of saying, "Come to us," oh, well, you know, we're going to sprinkle the magic potion so that you'll be lured to us through the scent. <laughs> but instead, saying, "No, go to them, go to those locations, those communities where we know that they live, work, and flourish, and for us to make a a pre- have a presence there." So that's something simple, but so transformative, so transformative. And and I'll be honest with you, the the biggest transformation was on the leaders really kind of getting out of their own selves and saying, why would they not want to come here? <laughs> we are so fabulous and so great. They should want, right? So this, exactly, yeah, yeah. This, you, you know, you should be honored to, let's eat a little bit of a humble pie and let's show that. And it's not being humble, it's deference. It's respect, it's acknowledgement, which, quite frankly, all of us need and desire and will be a motivating factor. I don't know who it would not be a motivating factor to.
2: I want to highlight a couple of things out of that. So one, you that was probably based on like I assert that that was a several million dollar problem that you solved like that would. Yeah, that was a big time. Like those roles, those people. You don't need to tell me who it is. I just know that it was it was expensive, and you creatively solved an expensive problem. Second, was what was ironic to me is that they, like your target user group, so to speak, it, you had to actually change their beliefs. Not yes. you didn't you change your own beliefs, but you had to change their beliefs, truths, and assumptions about what it meant working with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you did that through communication. And I think that at the end of all of this, I'm left with it's communications to unlock potential so that in the both communicators and communicatee, that's not a word to really just like challenge, hey, what do we believe about these things and how is it limiting our ability to make the most of it? And to the tune of several million dollars in this one small, yeah. relatively simple example.
0: Absolutely. And I believe in you. I believe you have the talent and a skill to make our organization better
2: yeah okay that's it that's all you need to know folks that's what dei is (laughs) ship it wait how can people uh connect with you how can they learn more about the work that you do how can they just just get into your
0: sphere Yes, yes. Well, thank you for the opportunity. This has been a, such a, a, a wonderful, invigorating exchange that's given me energy. You can reach out to me. You can go to my website at www.waymahoover.com. And through that, you can actually reach out to me for consulting services, through that, the site for consulting, for uh, keynote speaking opportunities, and also to see all of my litany of published articles, which I'm a contributing author for several publications that so you can go on there and actually look at all the insights that I'm giving to other people and another DEI talk, all things DEI, and looking forward to keeping contact.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Wayma, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Yes, likewise. And thank you for your great work. Oh,
2: Keep the- <laughs> <laughs> likewise. <laughs> Folks, my guest today, Waymo Hoover, who is the president CEO of Be Limitless Consulting. LLC. What I'm taking away from today, you know, I talk to so many people about unlocking their talent potential They say, hey, we need people to work from us. It's a talented market. And I also talk to people who are a little bit scared to tackle DEI as a subject. Well, they shouldn't be different. They aren't different. They're the same. It's just the road travel needs to get there. And. If you are curious enough and what I heard, humble enough to be able to reflect both on what you think and what others think, it opens up the door to a whole new level of potential, dare I say, innovation in an organization and just, you know, make your business a great place to work. And that's what you're probably showing up to do anyway. So don't make it harder on yourself. Just, you know, look and say, hey, where are we thinking about things wrong? So Wayma, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Folks, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you watching. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you checking out our sponsors, and I'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.